Well, hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me for this uh, worship service. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis, starting in chapter uh, 27. Many of you will remember that a few weeks ago was the one-year anniversary of the tragic death of basketball legend Kobe Bryant, who died in a helicopter crash along with his daughter and seven other individuals. And on the anniversary of that crash, there were several stories that appeared in the media as well as on television. And I was reading one of those stories and something caught my attention and it really surprised me. What I learned was that his widow, Vanessa Bryant, was being sued for several million dollars by her own mother. Her own mother was claiming that she was owed millions of dollars in back pay for babysitting the children. And I could go into all the details of the suit and the countersuit. But the bottom line is it's really getting ugly with the things they are saying in public and particularly some of the things that her mother is saying. And it's just tragic that on the anniversary of Kobe's death at a time when this family needs to be coming together and helping one another, they are falling apart, not only privately and behind closed doors, but publicly and in the courtroom. It's really, really sad. Over the years, I've seen a lot of families fall apart, if you will, because of money as well as many other issues. And you and I both know there are, there are many, many dysfunctional families in our community. In fact, some of you listening to me right now are dealing with dysfunction in your own life. Your family isn't what you want it to be. And so today I want to talk about that. I want to look at a story in the book of Genesis, a well-known story. It's the story of Jacob and Esau, two brothers, and and, and their family, really, because their parents were involved in their story. And, and they became a very dysfunctional family. They became a, a broken family. And it took a number of years and some changed hearts, but eventually there was some reconciliation. I want you and me to learn today some lessons about life, about relationship, about broken families and how to mend them, and learn some things about God and how he works in our lives to heal and restore broken relationships, heal and restore broken families. And I'm praying that those of you who are listening to me right now who are struggling in your family life will be blessed and helped by what God is going to show us today. We're going to start in the book of Genesis, chapter 27, where the story begins. And, and it's, as I said, it's the story of Jacob and Esau, these two brothers and their parents. And Esau and Jacob were twins. Esau was the firstborn. But man, these two boys were different from the get-go. If you will, Esau was a, a red-headed, hairy outdoorsman who loved to hunt. But Jacob was the opposite. He was a kid who liked to stay indoor. He liked to cook. He was a mama's boy. And in fact, he was the favorite of his mother, Rebecca, whereas Esau was the favorite of his father, Isaac. And, and the parents playing favorites uh, to their children set the, the framework, the groundwork, if you will, for the dysfunction and, and the tragedy that would come in that home in the years ahead. And um, the very first incident took place when they were, they were young men. Uh, Jacob, 
saw Esau when Esau was in a moment of weakness, and he took advantage of him by getting Esau to sell him his birthright. As the oldest, Esau was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. So however many children Isaac and Rebekah had, they all got part of the inheritance, but Esau is the oldest boy, firstborn boy would receive a double portion. And Jacob was able to take advantage of Esau in a moment of weakness and, and get his inheritance, his, his, his uh, birthright, if you will. And as time passed, Esau increasingly resented his brother taking advantage of him and from his perspective, stealing his birthright. And all of these problems, the parents playing favorites and the growing conflict between Esau and Jacob came to a head when Jacob stole Esau's blessings when they were young men. In Genesis 27, if you have your Bible, follow with me as we read verses 1 through 4. The Bible says this, Now it came about when Isaac, the father, when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, so he was going blind, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here, my father. And then in verse 2, Isaac said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow. Go out into the field and hunt game for me. Remember, he was a hunter, a gamesman, if you will. And then his dad asked him in verse 4, Prepare a savory dish for me, you know, the, the kind that I love, and bring it to me that I can eat it so that my soul may bless you before I die. You see, it was a custom in ancient Israel for a father to bless each of his children. But the firstborn son, just as he got a double portion of the inheritance, the firstborn son received a special blessing. And that blessing would involve things like family leadership, uh, the blessings of God, uh, great things for his future. And so Esau was rightfully entitled to this blessing that the firstborn received from his father. But what's interesting and really sad is that in verse 5, Rebekah, Esau and Jacob's mother, Isaac's wife, overheard Isaac talking to Esau and knew that what he was doing was right, but because Jacob was her favorite, she did not want Isaac to bless Esau. So when Esau went out to hunt the game, she brought Jacob in, told him what was going to happen, and together they concocted this trick, this, this, this way to take advantage of this elderly father husband who was going blind. She had him kill some of the livestock. She made the stew the way her husband liked it, and she had Jacob put on some of Esau's clothing so he would smell like his brother. They took some of the animal hair, because remember Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was not, and put some of that animal hair on his on his forearm and on his hands so when his father would fill him, he would feel like Esau. And Jacob, disguised that way, goes into the tent with his blind dad and lies to him and convinces his blind father that he's actually Esau. And after Isaac eats that meal, he blesses Jacob. He unknowingly gives to Jacob the blessing he had intended for Esau. So it is accurate to say that Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, worked together to deceive Isaac, the father, to deceive uh, her husband and steal from Esau, the firstborn son. Rebekah helped steal, helped Jacob steal from Esau what rightfully belonged to Esau. Now, you can imagine how this story is going to go. Uh, Jacob leaves the tent. 
And not long after that, Esau comes back from his hunt, and he's killed some game, and he prepares the meal that his dad would like, and he takes it into him. And all of a sudden, everything everything come, becomes, becomes publicly uh, known. In chapter 27 of Genesis, if you look at verse 32, Isaac, his father, said to him, to Esau, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then one of the saddest verses in the Bible, then Isaac trembled violently. He was so upset that he was physically shaking, and he asked, well, who was that that came in here that I gave the blessing to? And he and Esau together figure out that it was Jacob. Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing and tricked his elderly blind father. I mean, it doesn't get much more dysfunctional than that. And then in verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father that he'd already blessed Jacob, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He was so hurt. He was uh, devastated. And as the story continues, Esau made up his mind that once his father died, because he did not want to bring more grief to his dad, once his father died, he was going to kill his brother Jacob. He was going to get his vengeance on Jacob and take back what was rightfully his, what his brother had stolen from him. Well, Rebecca, their mother, learns about this. Now, I, I know this sounds like a crazy story. It's how dysfunctional this family was. But the truth is, in life today, in life today, I've heard stories just as crazy as this. I know of families today that are as dysfunctional and, 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 and messed up and struggling with as many broken relationships as this particular family in the Old Testament had. Well, Rebecca learns that Esau, her oldest boy, is angry and going to kill Jacob. And so she, she convinces Isaac the father to send Jacob away. Let's send him back to Haran, back where our family originally came from, back to my family. And he can stay there with my family for a while in that other country. He can find a wife there. And then once, once Esau is not so angry, then Jacob can come home. And this journey to his mother's homeland becomes a turning point, if you will, in the life of Jacob. We read in the Bible that during this particular journey, one night while sleeping, he has a dream. In this dream, there's a ladder that reaches from earth to heaven, and angels are going up and down the ladder. And at the top of the ladder, God appears and speaks to Jacob. And when he wakes up the following morning, he, he builds an altar and he commits his life to God. And in chapter 28 of Genesis, in verse 16, here's the turning point for Jacob. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Because to that point, Jacob knew about God, but did not know God. This became the moment when God became something more than the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, the God of his mother, the God of his grandmother. This is the, the point that, he, that God became more to Jacob than the God he'd heard about while he was growing up. This is the moment when God became God to Jacob. This is the turning point in his life. And uh, he got right with God. But God, even though Jacob is now right with him, is getting ready to send Jacob to school. 
God is getting ready to teach Jacob some important and powerful lessons to prepare him for his future. God is getting ready to humble, to humble Jacob and change his heart and teach him valuable lessons. So he continues his journey arriving in his mother's homeland of Haran. And he meets uh, uh, Laban. Laban is Rebekah's brother, and, and he meets their family. And Laban has these two daughters, and he's, he spends the, the next 20 years there. And during those 20 years, his mother, Rebekah, dies. Now think about this, because his mother and he, Jacob, had, had done so badly, had plotted together to, to trick Isaac and to, to steal from Esau, her son, his brother, the last time. The last time Jacob had a conversation with his mom was when he said goodbye to her as he was leaving his home, going to her family's home to avoid being killed by his brother. During those 20 years, his mom died, and he never got to see her again, did not get to say goodbye, and was not able to be there for her funeral. What a, what a tragedy. It's part of the price he paid for his deceitfulness. During those 20 years, Esau, his brother, got on with life. Esau became successful and wealthy and had a large family. But Jacob, living away from his family, his relatives up there at his sister's family in, in her homeland, but not the place where he had grown up, Jacob was in school and God was teaching Jacob. During those 20 years, Jacob fell in love with one of Laban's two daughters. He had two girls. The oldest was Leah, the youngest was Rachel, and Rachel was beautiful, and Jacob fell in love with her, wanted to marry her. And so he negotiated with her father, Laban, and, and, and you have to remember, this was in the time of arranged marriage. So he negotiated with Laban to marry his youngest daughter, Rachel, said, I'll work seven years if you allow me to marry Rachel. And so he worked those seven years, and on the day of the wedding, Laban, the father-in-law, threw a big party, and there was alcohol and probably some drunkenness. And that night, as Jacob goes into the tent to consummate his marriage with whom he thinks is Rachel, Laban has actually tricked him, lied to him, and it's Leah in the tent. And that's the one he ends up marrying. And Laban says to him, I cannot give you my youngest daughter until my oldest is married first. And so he tricks Jacob, if you will, into having to work another seven years for him. So 14 years in total, another seven years, so he can now have Rachel, the one that he actually loves, as his wife. And then he ends up working another six years so he can have some property and, and have a way to take care of his family. So 20 years of working as a servant to Laban, his father-in-law, so he can have these two wives and have a family and have possessions and have children. And through all of those years, Laban was as dishonest and deceitful toward Jacob as Jacob had been 20 years earlier toward his own brother Esau. And God, in the process, is taking Laban to school or Jacob to school and teaching him lessons and preparing him for reconciliation with his father. Now, during the latter years, God blessed Jacob. And he became a wealthy man with a lot of livestock. And finally, God says to him, Jacob, it's time for you to go home back to the promised land, back to Canaan. And in Genesis 31, if you have your Bible, look with me at verse 3. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. Now notice that. God did not simply say, Jacob, go back home. Did not simply say, Jacob, return to the promised land, return to Canaan. He said, Go back to the land of your fathers, referring to Isaac and Abraham, and to your relatives. 
You're to go back to your home place, but you're also to go back to your family. And that means going back to Esau, your brother. And then he said at the end of verse 3, I will be with you. God says, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will prosper you. And I will protect you. So Jacob gathers his family, his wives, his children, all of his possessions, and begins the big journey back to the promised land, back to the Canaan, and back to his brother Esau. And the one big concern that is on his heart and mind during this whole journey is, how is Esau going to react? What is Esau going to do when he sees me? And so as they approach the promised land, Jacob sends messengers ahead of himself to tell Esau that he's on his way and that he has a gift for him. Those messengers return to Jacob and and say that Esau is coming to meet you and he's bringing with him 400 men. And so Jacob really gets afraid. Now, what's, what's Esau going to do with this army of 400 men? Is he going to attack us? What's going to happen? He didn't know, and he was afraid. And so Jacob divides his family and all of his possessions into two groups, if you will. That way, if Esau attacks one, the other will still have time to escape. And then he prays. And we, we, we see something about Jacob, about the change that had taken place in this man during the past 20 years by the way he prayed. Look with me in chapter 32 of Genesis at verses 9 through 11. The Bible says this, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives. He knew God had told him not only to go home, but to go back to his relatives, including Esau. And, God, and, and he said, God, you said I will prosper you. Now notice verse 10. Here's a change in heart. Here's a change in attitude. He said, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness. I'm unworthy of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant, to me, your servant. For with my staff only I crossed the Jordan. When I left the promised land 20 years before, all I had was my staff, my walking cane, if you will. And now I've become two companies. I have all of this family. I have all of these possessions. I left with nothing, but I'm coming back now a blessed and wealthy man. And I'm unworthy of all those blessings. What a different attitude. Then he prayed in verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. Notice how honest he is with God. I fear that he will come and attack me and the mother's with the children. And so he cries out in prayer to God. And as the story continues, after he divides his family and possessions the way he had planned to, after this prayer, he continues traveling. And suddenly in the distance, he sees Esau, his brother, with those 400 men approaching. What does Jacob do? He moves out in front of everybody, makes his way toward his brother, And the Bible says that seven times as he drew close to his brother, he bowed to the ground. He bowed to the ground in front of his brother. That was a custom in the ancient world that if you entered the court, if you will, of a king or a queen, you would bow seven times in their presence as as a sign of respect and and submission and humility and reverence to to royalty. And, And so here, Jacob, who had 20 years earlier, tricked and deceived and lied to and stolen from his brother. Now God's done this work of changing his heart and teaching him some lessons, and he approaches his brother completely differently. 
This time he's bowing seven times in front of his brother. And how does Esau react? For me, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. In chapter 33, verse 4, then Esau ran to meet him. You remember the story Jesus told about the prodigal son who wasted his father's inheritance. He wasted it with wild living and, and, and unrighteous living. And, and when he came home, when he, when he, when he was destitute and at wit's end, he came home and, and Jesus said, the father, the father saw him and he, and he ran to his boy and he embraced him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him because that's how God feels about us sinners. When we come home, notice here that Esau is the one demonstrating the grace of God. In verse four, Esau ran to meet him, to meet Jacob. And he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. What a beautiful picture of reunion and reconciliation, of healing and forgiveness. Wow. Who saw that coming? You see, the story goes on. Jacob offers Esau his gift. And Esau says, no, I'm, I, you know, God's blessed me and I'm wealthy. I'm rich. I don't need it. But Jacob insists and Esau accepts the gift, and then the story continues. They eventually separated, and, and Esau went back to his home in, in Edom in the mountains, and Jacob settled in Canaan in the promised land. And in the years that followed, they stayed in touch. Now, that's a long story. That's a lot of information. What I want to do over the next few moments is real quickly just lift out some lessons about God and what he's doing, about us and our relationships, about how to mend broken families, some things we didn't know, need to know if we're going to heal broken relationships, whether it's in our family or, or other relationships. And, and the first lesson that I want you to jot down, I want you to really take to heart is this. When a family is broken, God is always at work. God is always at work in me, in you. God is always at work in each and every one of us to grow us, to heal us, to fix us, and to prepare us for a time of reconciliation so the family can be mended, the family can be healed. During those 20 years, God had worked in the heart of Esau. Esau, who was so angry that he wanted to kill his own brother because of all that his brother had done to him and stolen from him, God had blessed Esau with a large family and with wealth of his own. And during those years, God had softened Esau's heart so that when he saw his brother, he was so excited and so happy he'd already forgiven him. During those same 20 years, Jacob, the one who was so dishonest, so deceitful, so prideful, so arrogant, God taught him lessons and changed him so that he was ready to go home, ready to reconcile with his brother and able to do so. God is always at work. The problem is that sometimes we don't listen to God. Sometimes we don't want to hear from God. We don't want to cooperate with God. But God is always working in each and every one of us to fix what has been broken. The second lesson is this. If we're going to mend broken families, we have to get right with God. We have to get right with God. That's what ha happened to Jacob as he was on his journey from, from the promised land up to Haran to, to be with Rebekah's family. He had that dream. He had that dream of the angels going up and down the ladder and God speaking to him. And it's in that moment that God became God to him more than simply something he'd heard about became his God. And if you and I are going to be the people we need to be going forward in life, we have to be right with God. 
And the starting point for some of you right now is you need to get right with God. God is speaking to your heart. He's speaking to your life. He's speaking to you about your behavior and your attitude, speaking to you about relationships, and you need to listen to him. You need to get right with God. That's one of the ways that God mends broken families. The third lesson is that sometimes we have to, listen, sometimes we have to go backward before we can go forward. We have to go backwards before we can go forward. God said, Esau, or Jacob, rather, God said, Jacob, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Remember the promise that God gave Abraham through your descendants, I'll make a nation and bless the world. And then that, that, blessed, that, that promise was passed down to Isaac, and now it's been passed down to Jacob. But before God was going to fulfill the promise to Jacob, Jacob had to make things right with Esau. He had to go back to where he had messed up before he would go, could go forward into the future that God had for him. And some of us have things from our past that are hanging on, hanging all over. We're, we're just, we won't let go of them. And, and, and they, they hold us, they, 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 they keep us in bondage and we can't move forward with what God wants to do because we won't deal with something from the past. Sometimes we have to go backwards before we're able to move forward in life. Here's the fourth lesson. It's okay to be afraid when you're trying to mend something that's broken. It's okay to be nervous when you're trying to heal a relationship that is strained. Jacob was. It is a natural human emotion. That is okay. But we simply choose to move forward even though we are nervous, even though we are afraid. Don't allow the emotion of fear to keep you from doing what you know you need to do. You doing what in your heart you really want to do, what God is leading you to do. The fifth lesson. Someone has to take the initiative. Someone has to reach out. Remember, as Jacob was on his journey home with his family and his possessions, he sent messengers ahead of him to Esau saying, I have a gift for you. He was extending an olive branch, if you will. He was saying to Esau, I want us to meet. I, I want to come home. Somebody has to take the initiative because if in our human pride, both of us just wait for the other one, then no one ever will. If God is prompting you to take the initiative in mending something that is broken, hear him, listen to him, and do what he says. Take the initiative and reach out. You can't control how the other responds. You can control whether or not you follow God by taking the initiative to mend what has been broken. The sixth lesson is to pray. We read that beautiful prayer of Jacob's earlier when he said, Lord, you've blessed me and I am unworthy of all of it, but I'm going to obey you because you've told me to go home. I need your help and your protection. He prayed and you and I need to pray. Sometimes if we brothers and sisters would spend more time praying for the people we're mad at, spend more time praying about broken relationships than we do criticizing, gossiping and complaining. It is amazing, amazing what God could do to fix things that have been broken. A seventh lesson is this. Have some humility. Be humble. In that prayer, Jacob recognized that he was unworthy of the blessings of God that he did not deserve them because he had been so wrong in the past, been so deceitful, and it was simply the, the love of God that blessed him anyway. He left home with nothing, but he was coming back a wealthy man. He knew that was all from the hand of God. It wasn't because of his own greatness. He had some humility. 
And now he understood how Esau felt. You see, for all those years, Laban had treated him the way he had previously treated Esau. And oh, it's like the light bulb came on. And now, because of what had been done to him, wrong, he understood what he had done to his brother that was wrong, understood how his brother felt, how wrong he was to trick his father and steal from his brother. And you see, sometimes we need to have enough humility to see things from the other person's perspective. If the only perspective we ever see is ours, then we're not going to be very good at fixing what we've broken. We need to learn to see things from other people's perspective. Here's the eighth lesson from this story. Treat other people with respect. When you're needing to mend a broken relationship, show some deference, show some respect. Jacob, as he approached his brother Esau, bowed to the ground seven times, as I said earlier, the way someone would when they entered the court of a king. He showed humility. When Jacob's wives and his children approached Esau, they did the same thing. Each and every one of them bowed to the ground to Esau, Jacob's brother. Jacob referred to his brother Esau five times as my Lord, referring to himself Five times Jacob said, I am your servant. Talking to Esau, I am your servant. Esau called Jacob my brother. Oh, the tenderness in that, my brother. See, Esau, who had been so angry and so wronged and so hurt, was saying to Jacob, you are my brother and I care about you. Jacob, the one who had done wrong, was humility and showed respect and said, you are my Lord and I am your servant. Oh, how the tables had turned, how everything was changing. You see, words matter. Attitudes matter. Body language Body language matters. So show some deference. Show some humility. Show, show some respect. And then the ninth lesson is this. Sometimes we need to make restitution. You see, Jacob offered Esau this large gift of livestock, and Esau said, no, I've got plenty. But Jacob insisted, said, please. And in chapter 33, I love verse 10. Jacob said, no, please. To Esau, please, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. Notice this. For I see your face as one who sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. And then verse 11. Please take my gift which I have brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. It's interesting. In the Hebrew text, verse 11, when it says, my gift it is the same Hebrew word used earlier in Genesis for the blessing, for the blessing Jacob stole, which Isaac was going to give to Esau. It's as though Jacob is saying, Esau, I cannot give you what I stole from you, that blessing. I can't give it to you. I don't have it. Can't give it to you. But I can give you a new blessing. I can give you something. And sometimes, sometimes to mend what has been broken, we need to make some restitution. We need to make some sacrifices. And that is what Jacob was doing. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then here's another lesson. Fixing broken relationships requires grace. Esau showed it. 
and how he forgave his brother before he ever met his brother again. Jacob showed it and how he responded to Esau by bowing and by giving him a gift. But that beautiful, beautiful verse in chapter 33, verse 10, for I see your face as one sees the face of God. Is what, what Jacob is saying is Esau, the way you came to me, embraced me, loved me, wept with me, called me your brother, the way you came to me in you and how you treated me, brother, how you treated me, Esau, in you, in your face, I see the very face of God. I see the very grace of God in you. And people need to see that in us. Who in your life needs to see the grace of God in you by how you treat them, by how you respond to them? Some important, important lessons. Now, Jacob and Esau did not live together. Esau lived in the mountains in the, in the mountain areas of another country, and, and Jacob lived in the promised land, but they stayed in contact. And then to me, a very beautiful, beautiful picture of how their story ended in chapter 35 of Genesis, verses 28 and 29. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Verse 29, Isaac breathed his last and died. And he was gathered to his people. He was buried with his ancestors. An old man of ripe age. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. I love that picture of Esau and Jacob, these two boys who had been part of such a broken and dysfunctional family coming together to bury the father. The good news is they did not wait until Isaac died to do that. They had done it years earlier when they met, when they met, when, when, when Jacob first came home. Don't you wait until someone has died to try to fix what's been broken? Don't wait until there is such grief and such loss to mend what has been torn apart. Hear the voice of God. Get right with God. And work at it now. What is God saying to you? Is there a name that's in your mind and on your heart? Is there a certain behavior, a certain action God's asking you to take, something he's asking you to do? What are you going to do about it? What's one step, what's that one step you will take this coming week to obey God like Jacob did when he went home and was reconciled with his brother Esau? What's that one thing, that one step you're going to take this week in obedience to God to mend what has been broken? I pray you take that step. God bless you, and I'll see you next Sunday.